And good morning. Um, it's, it is so much fun to be in this space. Um, it's for, I mean, like Nick said, that, that has been the way it's been for, man, a long time. What would you say, two months? I, time is just kind of a thing to me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I always say the other day. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It's the other day. Um, uh, but this morning, I just want to say, man, thank you for, for joining us, being with us. It's so much fun to worship together. And for those of you who are still at home or maybe meeting with your connection groups, just want to say welcome to you as well. Um, hopefully Facebook is working now. But uh, um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to take them. Turn with me to John chapter 13, uh, verses 31 through 35. This is where we're looking at this morning. And and um, for those of you who don't know me, maybe, maybe tuning in from other places, my name is Luke Hedinger, um, and, and this, is actually, this is actually the, um, the final time that I'll be preaching to you as a pastor of Anthem Church, uh, which, which feels weird to say, and yet at the same time, um, at the same time, man, there's so much peace in that, because I... I there, there's transitions going on here at the church, transitions going on with me and my family, and this has been, this has been a long process, um, and, and we just trust the sovereignty of God because we serve a God who is, who is big and mighty and who has, who has incredible plans for us. Amen? Amen. If you didn't say amen, you should stop and be like, what did you say? Because maybe I wasn't listening, and then say amen because it's true. Um, yeah, so, so um, actually, as I was thinking about, like, man, the, the last sermon, what do I, what do I preach? Because it's been an incredible blessing and honor to be a part of, of what God's done here over the past four years. To see all the people baptized, to see, to see God work and move in incredible ways, to, to step out in faith and, and come down from Iowa and join this incredible team, and, and to go from, from meeting in the basement of the Wise's house um, a long time ago now uh, to, to now being in this, in this space. It's been an incredible blessing, and I kept thinking, God, what would you have me say, like the final final sermon, and, and I actually wrote out a sermon, and I was like, okay, this is it, this is what I'm going to say, and then yesterday, as I, was, as I was going back through that, and as I was preaching, as I was thinking about it, I, I was even talking to Nick yesterday morning, and I kept, I, I was saying, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to preach. That's never a good thing for a pastor when it's like the, the day before you're supposed to preach, and have this feeling like, I don't think this is it. And so as I was talking to Nick and as I, as I kept praying and as I kept thinking about the reality of the world we live in, I kept thinking, God, what, what would you have me say in the midst of where we're at, 2020, which has been a dumpster fire, right, and, and just keeps going, but what would you have me say as, as I'm thinking, okay, last sermon, as I'm thinking, like, we are literally watching parts of our country burn, as, as we see all this, it's, we, we live in a time where, where it is confusing and there's a lot of fear and, and, and it's just like, man, what do we do in the midst of this? What do we do in the midst? What, what should we be compelled by in the midst of just seasons of fear and uncertainty and, and unknown? And what do we do in the midst of what we see every single day and we're getting so used to seeing every single day as we turn on the news or we log on to Facebook? Or what should we as followers of Christ be compelled by in moments of uncertainty? You see, at, at times... 
if you're like me, in, in times of uncertainty, it can, you know, it's like there's, there's so many different ways that we can react. For me, sometimes it's like it, it reminds me of like when I, when I clean parts of my house. And, you know, I'll start in one area, and I'll start, like, in the closet, and I'll, and I'll be like, oh, this shouldn't be in here. This should be in, in, you know, in the kitchen. I don't know why something in my closet should be in the kitchen. Maybe it's vice versa, but I'll start in the kitchen, and then I'm like, oh, this should be in the closet. And then I'll find something in the closet, and it's like, why is this in the closet? This should be in the garage. And then I'll be in the garage, and I'll think, I'll see the lawnmower, and I'll think, you know what? It's been a while since I've mowed the lawn. And then, you know, my wife comes home, and she's like, why are you mowing the yard? It's like, I don't know. I was trying to clean the kitchen. It's like, you know. You know, it, it, it's just like I'm going in five different directions because I have no idea what I should be doing because there's so much coming at me at once. You ever feel that? And, and, then, and then maybe there's, there's a response to, to uncertainty and just, just confusing times where it's like, you know what, I don't know what to do, so, so I'm just going to go to sleep to all this. And we get really good at self-medicating, don't we? I'm not just talking about alcohol or drugs. I'm talking about social media. I'm talking about binge-watching shows on Netflix. We get really good at going to sleep to the trouble that's in our world around us. And then maybe the other side of it is we see what's going on, and we pick up our swords, and we go to battle, and we, we start swinging, and we try and cut down anything that doesn't look like us. The question is, what do we do in the midst of uncertainty? And, and what I want to read for us, I want to read John 13, 31 through 35. So if you, if you have your Bibles, it's up on the screen too. Um, let's read this together. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, and he's talking to his disciples, little children. Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Can I just pray for us? God, I I praise you and I thank you. Even as I read that, I'm sure that some people, as they're, as they're sitting in here at home, they already know where we're going. And God, I pray for an openness in our hearts. God, I pray for an openness in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that you would just help us to, to have a desire to see you more than anything else, God. As we talk about so often here at Anthem, God, I pray that this morning you would help us to know love and obey you because obedience is better than sacrifice. So I pray, God, that you would help us to walk in obedience to you this morning. It's in your name. Amen. I don't know if you, if you caught what we, just talked, what we just read, but the disciples are in a really confusing situation. They just had Passover. They, they just, they're hearing Jesus talk about dying even though he's the one that's supposed to come and bring liberation. He's the one that's supposed to come and bring security. And now he's talking about dying. And it's in the middle of the night. They just got done with Passover, which is supposed to be this incredible celebration, remembering the Lord's provision. And, and now he's saying, 
I, I'm, you're not going to be able to see me. He's talking about being glorified. He's talking about all these different things. And, and in the minds of the disciples, I'm sure, and, and again, I don't want to read too far into the text, but what I see in here is a, is a place of confusion and trying to figure out, wait, what are you talking about? Because our security is in you, and you're talking about how we're not going to see you anymore. And yet, what does, what does Jesus say in the midst of their difficult, confusing Situation. What does he say to do? What what is his what is his command to respond with in this? What, what do he say there? Love one another. It's it's fun, isn't it, to be back in a space where I can ask a question and I actually get to have people respond. Like I can ask you at home, but it's a little more awkward to respond on your couch. Anybody feel that? Where it's like, hey, you at home, raise your hand. If it's like, do I raise my hand? Like, can he see me? Uh, right. He says what. He says what? There we go. All right. You guys, I know it, we're out of practice, right? He says love one another. We're in a difficult, you're, you don't know what's going on. You're not going to see me. But a new command I give to you. A new command I give to you, love one another. They will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And so the question is this morning, how do we respond in difficult situations, in, in hurting situations, and in, in confusing situations? Because that is exactly where we're at. How do we respond? Love one another. And, and yet the question is, as I read this, it's like, okay, yeah, but Jesus, what does that look like? What does that look like in my situation right now? What does that look like as I watch the news? What does that look like as, as, we, as we enter into not knowing what's coming next? It just seems like we just keep getting curveball after curveball after curveball. What does it look like for me to, that's easy for you to say, Jesus, because you're God. You see, but the cool thing about Jesus, many cool things, one of the cool things about Jesus is that he, he never just, just drops something and expects the disciples to figure it out for themselves because they are clueless most of the time, right? But in fact, he gave them three years before this command to know what it was that he was talking about. And there, there's just a few places that I want to look at this morning as we, as we ask the question, okay, what does love ask of me? In my situation, where I find myself, what I see on the news, what does love ask of me? There's a few places. The first place I want to look at is, is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to reference it. If you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to, to read it afterwards, and you can be like, oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. But in John chapter 4, what we see is Jesus, it's, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Very beginning. This is before he'd officially set apart his disciples. They're, they're going through, uh, actually in the beginning of John chapter 4, at the end of, uh, or yeah, very beginning of John chapter 4, it says that the Pharisees are kind of getting riled up because Jesus and his, his disciples are baptizing people. So he's like, let's get out of here. So they start heading north. Um, if you look at a map, Jerusalem is in the south, Galilee's in the north, um, the Jordan River is running along the side, and, and so he's like, let's go to Galilee. So they're, they're going north, and it says they had to go through Samaria. And we've talked about this before, right? We, we, you've, you've heard messages, I've preached messages on, on the Good Samaritan and, and this, you know, this area of Samaria, but it's interesting to me that, that as we see the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says that he had to go through Samaria, and the reality is, is that he didn't have to. And I, I, love the way, I love the way John records this. 
Because what, what happened, what would have happened is most good Jews at the time would have, would have, if they were going north to Galilee, they would have crossed the Jordan River, circumvented Samaria, and then crossed again at the top. Uh, adding time to their journey, they didn't care because this was not their territory. This was not their part of town, if you know what I mean. Right? This place, I mean, this, this area of Samaria, Samaritans themselves as a people were viewed as less than human by the Jewish people. And, and a, few, a few reasons for that, and maybe you know this already, but I, I was trying to brush up on just the details of this. But, but around 722 B.C., so 722 B.C., that was probably almost 750 years before this moment in Scripture. 750 years. I can't even think in terms of 750 years. Like every time I think in, in biblical terms where it's like, you know, 700 years, 400 years, I always think America has only been a nation for a little over 240. You can fact check me if you want. Second service, maybe I'll say it right. But uh, it was like a little over 240 years. This is 750 years before what we're reading right here. This Assyrian army comes in, conquers the, the northern country, of Israel, takes away a bunch of the population and backfills with other foreign nations that they'd conquered. Backfills with other Gentile, non-Jewish people, and those non-Jewish people begin to intermarry with the Jewish people, and they, they create this, this, this new kind of bloodline, which to the Jews, this was tainted. To the Jews, especially in Jesus' day, if you had a tainted bloodline, you were cut off from access to God. You could not go into the temple. You could not experience God in the way God desired to be experienced by his people. You were cut off. And so racially, these people were, were less than. But not only racially, but religiously, they were less than. Because when all these other nations came in, they brought their gods with them. And so idolatry and idol worship and, and all these just really detestable things began to run rampant in this area. But, but then at some point, you can read it in First and Second Kings, at some point they're like, oh, wait a second. We forgot about the one true God. So let's, just, let's add him to the party. You know, now, it's a, now we're good, right? Because we just put him on the shelf with all the other ones. It's like, no, nah, that's not how it works. And so not only... Not only do the, to the present-day Jews in Jesus' time see these people as less than human racially, but they see them as less than human religiously, completely cut off from God. The hatred that they had. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And yet it was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he says, you know where, you know where we're going, boys? And they're like, no, don't say it. <laughs> yep. Boom. Let's go to Samaria. And in this, in this region where there's so much hatred, Jesus stops at a well to rest. And he sends his disciples on to get some food. We know the story. This woman comes in the middle of the day. The, uh, this woman who is, who is marginalized by marginalized people. This woman who is used by the men of her, of her city. This woman who... who she can't even go to the well when other women go to the well because she is ostracized by these people. And so she is the hated of the hated. And yet into this place, Jesus comes in and he begins to have a conversation where in the midst of the conversation, he, he reveals to her that he has living water. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. He reveals to her the truth about who he is and who God is and why he's come. It's crazy. 
And into that, in, in John chapter 4, verse 27, the, his disciples, this, this group that's following Jesus, they come back from getting food. They come back from the marketplace. And it says in John chapter 4, verse 27, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Let's just keep going. John the, the next two verses, 28 through 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. The next word in the next verse is, Meanwhile. See, the disciples come back from, from the marketplace, and all they see is all these labels that they had put on these people. That's all they see. And not only that, not only do they just see Samaritans, but they see a woman, no less. All they see when they look at her and when they look at Jesus and when they look at the situation is these labels. And they're saying, what in the world is happening here? What's going on? Have you ever been in that situation? I mean, we live in a world of labels and we do this, don't we? We, we, can, we can label people. I, it reminds me of when uh, I was working with this guy at uh, my, my uncle's laundry service in Kirksville, Missouri, a long time ago. But I was working with this guy and, and it was a, you know, we, it was a, it was an okay job. It was one of those jobs where it's like, that was fine. I don't want to do that again. But we, we'd go in and we'd take mats from places. We'd throw them in these industrial washers. We'd pull them out, throw them in the dryers, and then, and then we'd roll them all. And we'd have to put them in the right storage bin so that we could take them out the next day and lay them down the next day. And, and this guy, as we'd roll mats and as we'd throw them into the water and all this, he would just talk, 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 incessantly just talking and about nonsense all the time. And I'm just like, oh, dear God. <laughs> like, I just wanted to pull my hair out and put it in my ears. Just so it's like, stop talking to him. And, and he, would, he would tell, like I remember one time he told me a story about how he, he would have been a, a professional BMX rider. You, you know, BMX, like the, the bikes, you know, where the X games, the tricks and all this stuff. And he would have been a professional BMX rider if his mom would have bought him a bike. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Okay, you know, I'm rolling these mats and I'm listening to these stories. And at some point through the course of my working with this guy, he stopped becoming a person. The only thing I saw him as was just foolish. That was the label that I placed on him. And you know what happened after that? Because I could place a label on him, no longer did I have to think about the fact that he was a person that had needs and desires. No longer did I have to think about it. this was a person who, who has hurts. This is a person who, who has fear. This is a person who Jesus died for. This is a person who was created in the very image of God that Jesus Christ came to the earth to die for. No longer did I have to think about all that stuff because all I saw was fool. And we do that over and over again. We put our labels on people. Therefore, we don't have to think of them as people anymore. And we do that, uh, man, in a social media environment. People are no longer people. People are no longer people who are born in the image of God, who are creating the image of God. I mean, we live in a culture of labels. 
Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, pro-life, pro-choice, gay, straight, blue life, black life. We live in a culture of labels. And yet when Jesus brought his disciples into this place, what he did was he said, I know you see this. But let's elevate our thinking. I, I love in John chapter 4, verses 34 through 40, 35 it says, Jesus said to them, and because they're asking, Jesus, eat some food. What are you, th- you, know, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And he, says, he said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You see, the verses I read before this, the woman goes back and she says, I found the Christ. Could this be him? And it says, meanwhile, they come out. Everybody's like, well, let's go. I don't know. Let's go see. And it says, meanwhile, the disciples are having this conversation. I believe that in 34 through 35, when Jesus says, lift up your eyes, I believe that he's literally saying, look at the people. They were coming to him. They were coming up the hill to see, could this be the Messiah? And they're looking up, and he's saying, guys, look at them. Do you see labels? Do you see less than? Do you see racially impure? He said, because I see people who are broken. I see people that I've come to die for. He said, elevate your thinking. What would love require of you? What would love ask of you in a world of labels? What does love ask of you? I mean, not, not only that, as, as we continue to, to read through the book of John, we, we go from the woman at the well, and, and then in John chapter 11, I kept thinking about where are other examples where Jesus says, if, if love one another, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, that if you have love for one another. In John chapter 11, we see, we see this account of Lazarus. And, and I love because in, in John chapter 11, verse 3, we see what Jesus thought of Lazarus and his family. John chapter 11, verse 3, this is, this is where um, the uh, messenger comes, and, and they say this, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They don't even have to say Lazarus. I mean, if somebody told me that, it's like, okay, who do I love? I love my family, but he whom you, you know, it's like, they don't even have to say Lazarus. He whom you love is ill. If, if it were me, and I were Jesus, which praise God I'm not, right? But if it were me, and I had the power, I knew my friends, these people who I love are hurting. These people I love, this, this guy I love is sick and at the point of death. If I were Jesus, and I had the power to, to heal, and I had the power to, to save them from their hurt, I'd be like, let's go. Enough said. He whom I love is ill, let's go. Let's do it. But what does it say? John chapter 11, verses 5 through 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, so it reaffirms that. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Because he loved them, he stayed. Because he loved them, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean... When, when we read this, I think we're so familiar with the stories, and it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. No, it, no, it doesn't. Because what we see here is that Jesus chose a path that would be temporarily harder because he didn't just look at the temporary. He looked at the eternal. 
He didn't, he didn't just look at what was happening right now. He looked at the eternal. And, and this was a more difficult path. This was a more difficult situation, not only for the people that Jesus loved, but, but for Jesus himself. We know that because, well, do you guys know the shortest verse in the Bible? I hear a lot of whispering. People at home can't hear you whisper. Jesus wept, right? If you want to start your, your Bible memory time, this is a good one to start with. John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Done. All right? That's, just write it down. You can start memorizing that one. Jesus wept, and, and this comes from the place where Jesus says, take me to his tomb. He's having conversations with Mary, and he's having conversations with Martha, and they're questioning, they're wondering, why didn't you come sooner? If you just would have come sooner, our brother wouldn't be dead. Why didn't you come sooner? And he's saying, well, take me to the tomb. And he tells them, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Take me to the tomb. And it says, as he sees everybody weeping, as he sees the, the heartache, as he sees the pain, Jesus wept. See, I think it's so interesting as I see this and as I ask the question, what does love ask of us? Because my desire so often is to be a peacekeeper. My desire is to be a peacemaker. My, my desire, I, I've been in situations before, I don't know if you, if you have the personality like I do, there are times where I desire to keep the peace so much that I'll have conversations with people where it's like, I'm, I'm going to come hard at you. Get ready. And, and then we get to the end of the conversation, and they're like, oh, thank you so much for, for just blessing me and for, for the encouragement. And I'm just like, wait, what? I, like, you know, it's like, no, I want you to feel condemnation. I want you to feel correction. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. And I'm just like, what did I say? <laughs> and, but but I, it's, it's crazy because there are times where I look at uh, verses like Proverbs 27.6. Proverbs 27.6 says, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And that, that verse makes me cringe. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I don't want to wound my friends. I don't want to wound those are that are close to me. You know why? Because I want people to like me. I want there to be peace. I, I want there to be, I, I want it to be easy, and I don't want it to be complicated, and I don't want it to be icky, you know. You know? It's like I, I don't want to wound people, and yet in this moment... In this moment that we're reading right here, Jesus cared so much about his friends that he didn't care about what they might think of him in that moment because he had his eyes, because of his love for them, he had his eyes set on their eternal understanding of who God is rather than their temporary comfort. He knew that if they went through this, that they would have an understanding about God that went far beyond what they could understand about God if they just stayed healthy and comfortable. And so he was willing to enter into the hard spaces with them because he loved them. It reminds me of, uh, reminds me of Galatians chapter 2, Paul's example when he's writing to the church of Galatia. And he's using this example. He's talking about how, like, you know what, I, I don't. I'm, I'm just standing before God. Like, I, I just want to be right with God. And in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, he, he uses this example. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, Cephas is Peter. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Which, that's a big deal. He's, he's bringing special attention to that. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What is he saying there? He's saying, look, Peter's, Peter's actions were not in step with the, with the good news of the gospel. What he was acting out of in that moment was he was trying to keep the peace. He was trying to not rock the boat. He was trying to not make waves. He was trying to, to do whatever just, you know, it's like, oh, the circumcision party. We can't upset them. And yet Paul said, no, I care so much about the fact that people need to experience the true God of the gospel, the God who comes in even in our brokenness, the God who comes in even in our pain and even in our heartache and can reveal himself to be the God who brings truth and life and healing and wholeness. In a world of hurt, in a world of brokenness, what would love ask of us? What would love ask of us? The, the, last, the last place I want to look at is actually, like, as Jesus says this, as Jesus says, this is how they will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. He's actually, he just gave them an example of what that looks like. I, I want to read first John 13, 21 through 30. And this, I'm going to ask you to interact a little bit, all right? So, so get ready. Uh, 13, 21 through 30 says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he, he was speaking. So that, that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give him something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. What do you see in that passage? This is talking about Judas. What do you see in there? Can you leave that up on the screen for just a second? What, what do you see? As I was reading that, just real quick, what do you see? It's okay. Nobody wants to be the one to say anything. As I was reading that, I'll just let you know. As I was reading that, and every time I read that, it floors me that nobody knew that Judas was going to be the one to betray. Even after Jesus says, they're like, who's going to betray you? Well, the person I dip this bread in this cup and I'm going to give it to them, that's going to be the person. He dips it in, gives it to Judas, and he says, go do what you're going to do. And they're like, what's Judas going to do? They still don't get it. Do you know why they don't get it? I believe one of the reasons they don't get it is because Jesus didn't treat Judas any differently, even though he knew that he would be the betrayer. Judas was treated no differently than Peter by Jesus. Jesus didn't treat him any differently than John. 
Jesus, do you realize that right before this in chapter 13, right before this it says that Jesus took off his outer garment, put on the, the, the apron of a slave, and he washed his disciples' feet. Do you know who, whose feet he washed? Whose? You can say it out loud if you know. Judas. I mean, can you imagine if you were in that situation? Can you imagine if that were you? We know that Jesus is troubled in his spirit. It says that. He takes the form of a servant. If it were me, I'd be washed, okay, you know, like James, Thaddeus, Judas, nope, Peter. And yet he does and he takes the form. What about you? It's so easy in our culture to see people as opposition, to see people as enemies, isn't it? And yet, what did Jesus do with the person that was going to betray him? He washed his feet. He became a servant. They, they, didn't even, they couldn't even tell that Judas was the one because Jesus didn't treat him any different. We don't do that, do we? I, I asked my wife. I was like, hey, can I share this? Because I love, I love, Albertine has this incredible, like, she just loves people hard. And, and when, when she sees people being, like, um, like, demeaned or I can't remember the word that I use like when when she sees people being treated as less than she just kind of goes into this like like we, we were we were sitting with this photographer because I was asking her like do you have a, a specific example and we were sitting with this photographer at a wedding and he was just kind of boastful about himself and his you know accomplishments and he was kind of downplaying everybody else and just like you know just talking down about so many and and I could watch in her body she kind of gets this, like, she goes off to the side and, like, has this, like, <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, it's, like, one of those times where I'm just, like, I just put my hand on her. It's, like, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Why? It's, like, I think you're about to kill somebody. See, oftentimes that's how we respond to those that we see as opposition. They can see it. Everybody else can see it. Because what happens so often is that uh, for most of us, when we're hurt by someone, we start to think about, we start to think about, you know, like all of our, the, the ways that we're wronged. We armor up, we take sides, we, we rail against. And yet at the, at the, the same time, that I think it's so interesting, I was talking to Nathan just this past week, and, and we were talking about how, you know, rights, and, and we're kind of in this space where it's just such a, such a weird, hard time, and, and, and yet we talk about, like, our rights, and, and oftentimes, I think it's interesting, as we were talking, it's like, man, we get so focused on our wrongs, and we get so focused on our rights, and we get so focused on all these different things, and yet the reality is, is that we serve, we serve a Savior who, who Isaiah says was led to the slaughter like silent like a sheep to his shearers. We serve a Savior who says the world will hate you because it hated me. We serve a Savior, yes, who flipped over tables in the temple, but who said pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We can oftentimes get so focused on our rights that we forget that first and foremost, before anything else, we are citizens of heaven. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. In a world of opposition, what does love ask of you? 
See, the reality is that we, we live in a world of confusion. We live in a world of hurt and hurting people. And in the midst of it all, Jesus tells his disciples, they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And at the same time, as I say that, and as we hear that, oftentimes it can be like, yeah, but what does that mean for my situation? You just tell me to try harder. You tell me that I, I don't know what that means for my situation. I think, first of all, we have to, we have to understand the reality is that First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. When our label was broken, when our label was enemy, when our label was dead, Jesus came into our mess to offer us salvation. When, when we were hurting and dead in our sins and transgressions, Jesus brought peace and life. When we were enemies of God, when we were enemies of God, Jesus came so that we might have life. He gave his life so that we might receive it. So the question is, what does love require of you? What is love asking of you in this moment, in this time? Can, can we just, as the band plays, can we just, can I just have you close your eyes? I just want, I just want us to close our eyes because here's, here's the reality. I don't know what your position is. I don't know where, where you're at. I don't know what, what you're experiencing. There, there are many things that, I mean, you just pick one in our world today that causes so much fear. I mean, states are opening up. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. We're, we're getting ready to enter into an election cycle, a presidential election that is extremely divisive. We see, we see oppression on the news and looting and rioting and, and, and we, see, we see people protesting. We live in a world of confusion and yet we serve a God who says they will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have. So here's my question as you have your eyes closed. We're gonna sing this song, I Surrender All. My question for you this morning is what would love ask of you? What would love ask of you? God, as we say these words, as we sing, I surrender all, I pray that you would help us to just continue to ask that question. What does love ask of me? Am I just seeing labels? When I go online, is it easy to just not even see people? Just whatever labels? Not see lives, not see brokenness, but labels? Is it just easy to, to just go with the flow and not rock the boat? Because we're, we're just too focused on our temporary comfort? Rather than people knowing the true God who can bring hope, hope and healing. God, am I, God, am I, am I in a place where I'm taking up sides and I'm picking up my sword and I'm swinging at people that you love? God, our question this morning is what, what would love require of us as a church, as a body, 